Hello there, and welcome to Gooner U. My name is Dove, and my friend Keith is here to bring me up to speed on everything I don't know about soccer and Arsenal. This week featured UEFA Europa League match number four versus PSV Eindhoven and Premier League match number 11 at Southampton. Hello, Keith. Hello, Dove. So, how are you doing this week? Uh, this week was, uh, this, there was, there, there were some great goals this week. <laughs> I, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have to, we'll have to set aside a, our, our, some Granite Jaka goal scoring appreciation minutes, uh, each week, apparently, because he scores when he wants, I guess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, getting into follow-up, um, we can close out the topic of grass stains. I definitely noticed some grass stains when they played versus Eindhoven at uh, at the Emirates. And yeah, I, I noticed on Tierney's shoulder and I think one or two other places. So yeah, um, it is just something that I only started paying attention to probably after I started playing. And uh, no, they're it, it may be less. I think what I what I probably noticed is I get covered in loose grass, which clearly has to do with how well the field is tended to, and ours is not. <laughs> so I will suspect there's probably a bit of this as well that's tied to also the the weather that we're dealing with. I know this will come this might come up briefly at some point, but as it is October and weather in England is not so nice anymore, and I suspect that does something to the grass <laughs> and the temperature and the the, the moisture and. I'm assuming that it plays a role in grass stains as well. Oh, no. Are you trying to tell me that this topic is not closed, that we're going to have to revisit in the spring and see if the grass stains go away? <laughs> I, I mean, we don't really close questions here. I think we just open up new avenues for investigation <laughs> and discovery. That's how I look at it. Anyway. It's, it's a healthy outlook. <laughs> so... Moving on, uh, yesterday I played in, I believe it was my third match of uh, recreational pickup soccer, and uh, it, some, <laughs> there, there are some interesting things as, uh, as I pay more attention to the sport that I, that I began noticing, such as uh, cherry picking that you've told me is what, it, it is the practice that the offsides rule was established to prevent is well and good in our games where we don't and I even specifically asked whether we pay attention offsides and they kind of laughed. But yeah, there there was definitely one player who would just like camp out near my goal and wait for the ball to be passed to him. Uh, nothing ended up coming of that, but that was that was interesting. Um, <laughs> also, uh, something I'd never really heard of before, but it, it made the game a little bit more fun for for our uh, our guys out in the field. Um, we we were. I think we had one more player to begin with on the other side until someone else uh, came in a little bit later and balanced it out. And the rule that we instituted against ourselves to, to even the scales a little bit is what we called a single touch rule. So basically requiring each goal be a one-timer. You can't dribble the mm -hmm. ball to advance on the goal. I think they didn't even have a goalie. So that was part of it too was, uh, just making it a little bit more tough for us to, to score goals. So that was, that was interesting. Oh, I've never, I've never played with that rule before. So interesting. Yeah. It, uh, it, it definitely got the better of some, some guys who uh, went to score and realized that, Oh, whoops, they stopped it with their foot first <laughs> was one very common thing. And that disqualified the goal. So I think we still ended up winning when all was said and done, but uh, that, that was fun. Um, also, I got a good tip about, <laughs> so it, it was funny the, the guy didn't want to like overstep, but he, he started off by asking me, have I been playing keeper for long? And I said, uh, as an adult, no, <laughs> was the answer I gave. And uh, I appreciated any, any advice that he had and what he told me, which I, I knew just from a geometric standpoint, and I'd probably been told when I played goalie as, as a kid, but imagine that the, the person with the ball is shining a flashlight toward the goal. And the closer you get to them, you make the shadow bigger and you basically eclipse more of the goal. And it's easier to, to block the goal, the closer you get to the ball. So uh, I started doing that. Uh, he ended up uh, after the half, we lost a couple players and he ended up playing for the other side. So I, I joyfully got to use that advice against him on at least <laughs> one occasion. So <laughs> uh, that's, that's the trick to playing, playing goalkeeper in, in any sport. It's, it's about cutting down angles. It's just give them as little of the goal to see and shoot at as possible. And that's, that's how you do it. So yeah, no, I, I've the, I like the flashlight analogy. Yeah, it's, it's good. And I think what my hesitancy and what I'm working on, I'm incorporating that there, there are certain times where it's very clear you only have 
a threat from one direction. But most of the time, as soon as you get super close to the guy right in front of you, all he has to do is pass it to the guy off to the side who is who can now get it completely behind you. And that's the risk I felt I was mitigating by staying closer to the goal sometimes. Mm-hmm. But it, it's a balance. So, you know, it also depends on the exact situation. Can I get there and actually get a foot or a hand on the ball to get it away from him before he even attempts to pass or shoot? You know, it's a... Something I'm paying attention to now. So. Yeah, and, and you'll notice, especially at the top level, keepers will will learn. They'll they know their capabilities. They'll, you'll also see some of the really good or, and or bold ones will will actually dummy uh, guys in. It looks like they're giving them a, a, an angle, but actually they're already they know that's their good hand, so they can cover more space with it. So yeah, it's yeah the the game within the game, as they call it. Hmm. Sure. Well, and, and for myself, I think one thing that I'm, I'm decent at when it comes to coaching, uh, I've, I've observed this in myself with baseball and soccer, is I'm generally not bad at finding the one thing that needs the most improvement in, in a player and figuring out a way to uh, bring that out in them, like figure out some drill or some way of explaining. And it's, and it's been going pretty well for me as a coach. And I'm applying that inward and giving myself the task of before I play again, the, the things that there are two big things that I need to work on. Uh, one is left footed ball handling. <laughs> I need to practice passing with my left foot. Mm. Um, I had to do that a lot and it was not great. I just was very weak and wasn't able to get it as far as I would like. The accuracy was okay, but uh, just not powerful enough. Um, the other thing is I noticed that I was really hesitant to dive. I've never really dove for the ball, dived, dove. Um, it's tough with my name. I'm always hesitant to, to say my own name when I'm talking <laughs> about diving, but, uh, <laughs> I don't really dive for the ball. I, I go on my knees a lot. I, I end up <laughs> with plenty of those grass stains on my knees. Um, I'll, I'll hit the dirt. I'll, I'll do what I can to try and stop it, but I don't often dive when sometimes that is what's called for. And there, there were definitely times where if I had fully lied down, like on my side going after it, that I probably would have been able to stop something that otherwise went through. Uh, so I need to drill that. I need to just <laughs> go in the backyard and have my son kick the ball and I just dive to get it or something just to drill that. <laughs> just, yeah. You just, as you know, as a keeper, it's it, your, your job is to keep the ball out of the net and that's, you know, that whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Yeah. Yep. So moving on to Arsenal, uh, the first match that they played this week was the UEFA Europa League match number four uh, against PSV Eindhoven at home. And it went well. It went about as well as the last few. We won 1-0 again. <laughs> um, my my first question to you is, who is PSV Eindhoven? Where are they from? What What is what is their story? I know you mentioned the, the link to Phillips in the past, but... Um, what what country are they from? Like what what league do they play in besides Europa? Okay, so they are the Eindhoven is a, a city in the Netherlands, and so they are a Dutch team. They're okay. one of the better Dutch teams. There's really, I think, uh, I mean, there's one really big Dutch team, and that's Ajax, who plays in Amsterdam. But but PSV is one of the bigger ones. Hmm. Uh, the the PSV actually stands for. I, I looked this up, so I'm very excited to see if I can pronounce the Dutch. Uh, Philips Sport <laughs> Veneni. Vene, uh, hold on, Philips Sport. I'm sure that's not even close. Um, but basically, it stands for the Phillips. Yeah, it stands for the Phillips Sports Association. Uh, so it, it was founded uh, for by and for workers at Phillips, the electronics company. Uh, and they are still connected right. to Phillips. In fact, Nick, when we play them on Thursday, we will play in Eindhoven, Eindhoven at the Phillips Stadium. Uh, so that hmm, is okay. Uh, yeah, that's right. They are. Yeah, they're one of the big three in the Netherlands, along with Ajax and Feyenoord is the other one. Um, hmm. They are yeah, traditionally one of the better teams in the Netherlands. I, my expectation was this was going to be a tough game. It was not quite as tough as I was expecting uh, for right. in, in certain in certain ways. But uh, they um, certainly I, expe- I, I, I expect them to finish second in the group. And, and you know, we'll we'll come to that. But the. The, the end result here, by getting a win, we've all but clinched our spot at the top of the group, which is which is a very good place to be four games in. Oh, yeah. Good. I didn't realize that. And regarding the pronunciation, uh, if we ever have my brother-in-law on, um, he speaks Afrikaans, and uh, it seems like Afrikaans is very much based on Dutch, and so he's very well aware of how uh, Dutch things are pronounced. So we'll have to get his take on that, see what he says. 
<laughs> yeah, yes, Afrikaans is definitely derived from derived from the Dutch. So, yeah. So, so I th- another early thing that I noticed with this match, there is a commentator <laughs> on, on the coverage who I'd never heard before. He seemed like an older gentleman, um, possibly not from England. His his accent to me sounded more Irish, possibly, but. Uh, he had he had a lot of colorful language and not in the in the dirty sense of it, but uh, just he had different analogies for every situation in the game. Like one that I noted was slippery as a salmon in a dishwasher, which and I, these are all analogies I'd never heard before. And it was uh, it was funny, but he was on a completely different page from the other guy who sounded American and, and was much more straight laced, giving more what I would consider to be traditional commentary more in line with the other matches we've. Yes. So what you you have experienced and what most soccer fans will recognize, you have experienced the commentary of Ray Hudson. Uh, So, okay, he is he is well known in the the commentary among the commentary uh, community. So uh, first off, as you notice, there were two commentators, which if you compare that to our previous Europa League matches, we've only had one guy. Um, Okay. This is how, really, you can tell, this is how you can tell, this was a big game. Arsenal-PSV, oh, okay. this is one of, certainly one of the glamour ties of, of this round of games. So we got two commentators, we got a, we got a halftime show, but it wasn't just, you know, playing um, the highlights maybe? over some music. I mean, now granted, I was watching live, so I don't know, maybe you I don't know what you'd have seen in the... Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. I don't think I was treated to a halftime show. <laughs> I mean, it was it was a sort of a traditional sports halftime show. It was you know a couple of folks around a desk talking about the game, but it being one of right. several games going on, this was the game they were actually talking about, and so this was really sort of the glamour game of this round. And you know, as part of that, we got a fairly mm-hmm. well known commentator named Ray Hudson. Uh, Hudson is actually from uh, is from the the Newcastle area, so the north of England. And he is okay. well known for his uh, his colorful style. Uh, the yeah. you know, and and that accent is is particularly distinctive. Uh, most most commonly, the word that most gets associated with him after goals, he will call them magisterial and stretch it out that way. <laughs> um, he is he's an acquired taste my brother for example gets a kick out of him i kind of find him just a little much <laughs> he's not i don't i don't yeah. care for the ray hudson experience all that much but i mean if he's he, he he's a known quantity so yeah you got you got right. your first taste of the ray hudson experience <laughs> i mean slippery as a salmon in a dishwasher is it's classic Ray Hudson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel I'm probably somewhere in between you and your brother. <laughs> we'll see as I listen to more. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how many more games how many of our games he does. Although I suppose as we go deeper in the in the Europa League, you might see you might get him a little bit more. Right. Right. Sounds like it possibly, yeah. So so yeah, so uh, the whole first half it was it was very disappointing and frustrating. They just kept on getting close over and over and over again, only not to really connect. That was uh, <laughs> it was an exercise in frustration. I uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, we the shoes on the other foot than say from some from Leeds last week. Uh, you know that we're the ones taking all yeah. the shots now and not scoring. Um, I mean, overall, yeah. I mean, I I share the frustration in the sense that, of course, we want goals. But there's also a part of it that said we we flat out dominated most of this game. You know, yes, you'd like mm. to be able to score, but I, we were. You know, I talked about. I, I didn't think Einhoven was quite as good as I expected them to be. We were we were the better team all the way around uh, the field for the the majority of this game. Right. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's uh, it's good. It's just you you start to worry when it's that low scoring when it takes them that long to get even one goal. You worry that you're going to end up tied at zero. <laughs> and that's and that's that's some of the nature of the sport. It is a such a low event game. There's so there's so much space. Of course, where nothing happens. There were so few goals, which is you know goals matter a lot. Goals change games, and, right. and so I mean that's partly why every goal leads to the kind of celebrating it does. Like it really is a moment. 
uh, when that happens. And yeah, sure. it, it, it does. There is that sense, of course, that you're when you're not scoring that goal, you only have the one. You're on that that knife's edge. It only takes one mistake to to give it all away. But but we didn't, so it's yeah. fine. No, <laughs> we did. We did get the goal, so so it worked out in this match. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about. There was a weird exchange. So Matt Turner was uh, in, was the keeper for the match. And there was a weird exchange I noted toward the very end. I think it was even into stoppage time at, at the end of the second half where he was getting ready. He had, he had his hands on the ball. He was getting ready to punt or something. And one of the Eindhoven players was right in front of him. And he was like either pushing him away or tr- just trying to get him to back off. <laughs> is there a certain minimum distance that the opposing side is, is supposed to keep from the keeper when he's going to be punting it or something? What was going on there? So that was a classic example of gamesmanship and time wasting. Uh, yeah, they're, okay. they're, I, on some level there technically, I think is a certain distance or like, you're not allowed to interfere with the keeper or be close enough where he could accidentally like kick it into you. But it's a rule that's it's rarely enforced and rarely are you going to see keepers bothered by it. The reason he's doing that is an excuse for him to waste time. So he's holding mm-hmm. off. He's, he's finding something to complain about because technically you can be carded for time wasting at the end of the, especially at AC at mm-hmm. the end of games. And so by sort of waving the player off, what he's doing is, look, I can't kick the ball. I'm not wasting time. I'm trying to play and he's getting in my way. Everybody knows he's just full of it. Everyone knows that's just he's right. wasting time. But you, you, there's a certain amount of deniability there. Yeah, that's that is all about Turner finding an excuse to sort of just sit on the ball for a little bit and not have to play it, not kick it out, not and and notice there we were. I think it was there were what four minutes of stoppage time, so we're in the 93rd minute, which is just a few more seconds. You know, give it the referee finally just say eh, whatever, just just end this, right. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the yellow for um, delaying the game. Didn't that happen to Turner versus Buda Glimt last week? I believe I, I think it so, did, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember he was holding on to it for a long, long time, and there wasn't anyone around him. It wasn't the same type of situation. He acted like he was just looking, trying to decide where he was going to get toss the ball or whatever, but... Um, I remember the commentators echoing exactly what I was thinking in my head. What is the point? The ref is going to add on however much time you waste anyways. <laughs> Why bother? I mean, I mean, but, we will and it won't. I mean, as we've talked about, stoppage time is, is an inexact science. I No, let me rephrase that. Stoppage yeah. time is no science associated with it whatsoever. So on some level, the referee <laughs> will. Or someone the referee theoretically could, but I mean, you know, this is, this, this is, it's gamesmanship. You know, sometimes you see them sort of daring the official to do it. And depending how the game's going, they might not care. I mean, you know, in a sense, the referee's probably looking and saying, I mean, uh, you know, PSV didn't really look all that threatening to score by that point. And so, you know, you hit 94 minutes and eh, could we play an extra 15, 20 seconds, I guess, but they're not going to do anything yeah. with it. So, I mean, <laughs> well, they yeah. sit. They, uh, okay. Yeah. So it comes out in the wash. <laughs> yeah. And, and a lot yeah. of times you, when you see time get added, it's generally because something has happened in stoppage time, injury, a penalty, a free kick, where there's a long delay to set up a play. If the keepers, okay. there just screwing around. Mm, it really, it depends on the, re- that's referee's discretion. And, and, and who knows what the referee's thinking at that point. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so ready to move on to the Southampton match? Um, that's all. Yeah, that's that's all I have to say about about Eindhoven. All right, so this was uh, Arsenal's eleventh uh, Premier League match for this season, and the final score was frustratingly a draw at one-one. And uh, <laughs> that was the first time I've seen that happen. It's uh, probably the first time I've seen that happen in any sport because any other sport that I've watched before doesn't allow. <laughs> <laughs> the game to end in a draw. So yeah, that was, be- that was new be- for me. I believe it is Arsenal's first, first draw since January of this year. So it's, it's been a while for hmm. us. Yeah. 
So first, uh, it was nice to be able to actually see not only the entire first minute of the match. I was watching it later in the day. I don't know if that was the reason, but I, I was also treated to uh, some pregame uh, content, uh, just a rundown of the lineup on both sides and some commentary about what to expect from the different players on the field. It, it, it was nice. It was uh, much better than the abrupt uh, beginnings I've had into the second minute of, <laughs> of the match the last couple of weeks. So. Um, one thing that I noticed before the game started is it, it seems like a lot of the European teams, they wave these massive flags alongside the field. Um, the one flag I saw that I didn't, usually it's just the team name and the team colors or something, but, it, but someone was waving a flag that said, we march on. Do you, do you know what that is referring to? Is that one of a team's slogans or is that an English thing? No, that's yeah, that's definitely it's definitely connected to Southampton. So Southampton's nickname is the okay. Saints. Um, I don't know oh, why they're necessarily called that. the Saints, okay. but it, it's interesting if you look at their uh, their crest. They do have uh, at the top is a soccer ball. There's a halo over the top of the ball. Ah, so if you ever get a chance to look at the Southampton <laughs> okay. crest, I, but they, I believe the name predates that. They are the Saints. And so you you probably heard certainly I I remember hearing it pregame but you probably heard it throughout the game the fans they're singing when the Saints go marching in. I didn't notice it, so I, I believe you that they must have been, but I didn't. I, I heard the Arsenal chants louder than anything else. Maybe I'm just tuned to hear them now. But well, the, there's that. Although I, we we've always had very good traveling supporters, and, and Arsenal fans usually do a really good job of being in full throat. So uh, that you know, I, I certainly yeah. heard them as well. But yes, they they will sing when the Saints go marching in, and so I'm assuming marching on is connected to to that. Yeah, absolutely. No, that as soon as you said the Saints, uh, it clicked. Uh, that's got to be it. <laughs> so. So uh, I, I was taking notes throughout the match, and there there were a bunch of things. A lot of them were questionable calls I had questions on. Do you want me to uh, run through them and see what you think? I, I did give you timestamps in advance so you could review the footage, and, uh, <laughs> and I'm not blindsiding you with them this time. No, absolutely. So, well, so in, in looking through that list, I mean, I've seen the list. I So we're falling into that trap where every week we're talking about officiating, but I think we have to talk about the officiating <laughs> here. Um, it definitely to me seemed to play a huge role. It, it, it plays a huge role. So as you watch so many of these events, and I know you've highlighted a couple and I, I, I noticed a few others as well. As you, as you go through this, I, I, I think you could argue on many of them, you could point to a lot of them individually and say, well, I've seen that as a, as a yellow, I've seen that not get called. But there's a certain accumulation to them. And, and what you notice is essentially the, the referee let Southampton's defenders do pretty much anything they wanted to Arsenal attackers. <laughs> right. <laughs> which was which was yeah. which was very which was very difficult to watch at times. Yeah, definitely. So okay, so since we're in agreement that most of the things I was asking are probably just yeah the the ref was bad this time. Let me ask about some things that are maybe a little more pointed and, and have a definitive <laughs> answer. So um, what I'd noticed this match I'd never noticed before. There were a couple times where I'd noticed instead of it being a free kick where the ball would be set down on the grass, everyone cleared away and let the team who won the free kick kick it where the ref would drop the ball. And I, I think I heard the commentators call it a ball drop or drop ball or, or drop something ball. to that effect. Okay. Drop ball. And there was even one time where he dropped the ball. Martinelli went in after it as fast as Martinelli is capable of, which is very fast. And then he blew his whistle and they had to do it all over again. So what is a drop ball? What, when does that happen and why? What is that? So it, it, it happened at least twice in this game that I saw. Basically, the drop ball comes yeah. when plays, the referee stops play sort of in the middle of the action. Typically, you'll see play stop because the ball is played out out of touch for some reason. Uh, you'll see it a lot with in hmm. players, injured players. If a guy's down, depending on the game state, of course, there's sometimes an expectation that if you're in possession of the ball and one of the, uh, one of the other team's players is hurt, Unless you're like directly in the middle of an attacking move or a goal scoring opportunity, it's considered gentlemanly. You'll play it out of bounds and they'll throw it back into you once everything's been resolved. There are a few instances, however, where the referee will stop play without that. And we saw that. So the, the case you're talking about, 
uh, the referee, uh, there was a collision that ended up with, with Gabriel Jesus on the ground, which, of course, on replay, you can see he's very clearly punched in the back, uh, which was not called yeah. again. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so, but so since the ball was in play when the referee blew his whistle, the way to restart that is he has a, he drops the ball, and then in that case, Southampton had had possession. Now he stops he he stops that play in part because it looks like Southampton isn't particularly set. Like I understand from Martinelli what he's trying to do: the ball gets dropped, you go and play the man because it's Southampton's ball. But I mean, it, it appeared Southampton wasn't quite set. I don't know if it seemed like they were still talking to the referee about something or somebody wasn't okay. in position. So, and so I think that's what's going on there. So the ref realized that he dropped the ball. But yeah, in that sense, yes. He <laughs> drops the ball in more ways than one. There's an incident, by the way, that happens later in the game. I, I heard the joke, don't worry. Uh, there's an incident that happens later in the game where the the ball hits him. Anytime the ball hits the referee, it's a dead ball. So it's not allowed to deflect off of him like that. So at that point, they had to stop the game okay, and he had yep. a drop ball. And he dropped the ball and so it was... And that's a weird one because it was the, supposed to be a pass and went the other way or something. So they have to figure out who has possession and who's supposed to get it. But he will drop the <laughs> right. ball. Okay. Um, but you'll you'll see that you will see that from time to time. It's a pretty rare thing, but it happens in, in these instances. Uh, so that's that's where that one. Well, right. Came. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So so the idea is, as soon as it hits the grass, it's in play. You don't need to wait for the other team to make contact before you can move on it. Is that what's going on? No, I believe they have to. They have to make some play on the ball or have an opportunity to make some play on the ball. I, I admit, I I don't remember the okay. the particular rules of the drop ball. The problem is partly I remember, and now this is this is my experience having played soccer in the United States in the nineties, uh, where drop balls were, <laughs> were almost treated, they were almost treated like tip balls in basketball, where two players were called over and they dropped the ball right between <laughs> us, which involved us mostly <laughs> kicking each other's shins. I feel like that's not right, really what's supposed to happen. But you know, again, we were okay. you know nine nine year, year nine and ten year olds, so eh. yeah. <laughs> okay, so yeah, now now I know what to to look for next time. That's interesting. Mm. So, all right, so th- there was a run of corner kicks during the first half where Southampton had I don't know what it was four or something four or five corner kicks all back to back. That's the first time I remember that happening. <laughs> Have you seen that a lot? Is that is that as unusual as it seems to me? Yeah, that that'll happen now and again because you saw they all kind of happen the same way where the the ball comes in, Arsenal heads it away, it's another corner. The ball comes in, player gets a shot, deflects off an Arsenal <laughs> defender, and it goes out out for the corner. So you'll see that you will see that from time to time where they end up with a couple of corners in quick succession. Uh, yeah, I. I have to say, even watching those, I never really felt particularly concerned about Southampton scoring. I thought they, uh, I, I thought Arsenal generally handled those balls well. But yeah, it's it's a little, it does get a little nerve wracking because it's yet another chance for them to whip one into the box, and so he's it always makes you a little nervous. But I thought we did a even with the ball going out to touch, out for a corner, it it still felt like we were doing pretty well with that. Yeah, there was at least one of those where it looked like uh, Ramsdale had knocked the ball out where it would have gone in if he hadn't interceded. So, so yeah, we, we defended well against the corners, yeah. Um, so I guess uh, the last – uh, there's there's two more things from my notes that I wanted to cover. So um, <laughs> the rain, right? We talked about the rain last week. Um, so my thoughts have evolved on this a little bit. It seems very clear when they punched in to a more zoomed in shot where the players fill more of the screen, you can very clearly see it looked like it was pouring rain at various times. And then as soon as they pull out, it, well, whatever, it's zoomed out and the raindrops are so small, you just don't see them on the telecast. But what I still don't understand is why I don't see like I don't see water dripping off of anything like it, there's no other appearance aside from not seeing the raindrops. There's no other indication that it is raining. And especially when you see players on the sidelines, like they clearly would be soaked if they're getting rained on. And one thing that I noticed and the rain that I'm referring to was in the Eindhoven match. So it wasn't at home. That, w- that was mm-hmm. in their stadium. Um but I noticed that their stadium had a similar configuration to Emirates where it's wide open in the middle over the field, 
but it does have an eave and an overhang all the way around on all four sides. It looks like it at least mostly covers the stands. Uh, is that maybe contributing to why the stuff on the sidelines doesn't look as wet as it seems it should be? Like, any, any more thoughts on that after uh, paying attention more this week? Um, so, I mean, it, it, certainly the point about the stadium design, design industry, that's a very European design. You're starting to see it a little bit more in the United States where basically the stands are covered. So the fans will stay dry, but the field itself will be open. Um. Yeah. Uh, in terms of what it looks like, I mean, a lot of that is, I think, some, a certain amount of, I don't want to call them camera tricks. Uh, it did look at times interesting because I, I, I know, I think there's, a, I remember the moment, I think that you pointed me to the moment you were really looking at. Yeah, one of the replays, it looks like it's just pouring rain. Uh, but mm-hmm. you look around the stands, nobody has any umbrellas or jackets or anything. It does, I mean, it, it could just be it was a very spotty rain in particular places. I, I did see one, I forget who where I saw it, so I, I can't properly credit it, but as someone said, it's England, even when it's sunny, it rains. Um, <laughs> but but also, you know, I, I yeah, it, it is kind of interesting. You you sort of see that sometimes, and yeah, you 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 pull back, but it doesn't look like there's water on the field. It doesn't look like the players are getting wet. It doesn't look like anybody's. Yeah, don't, nobody seems to be reacting to the fact it's it appears to be raining, which is it is very interesting. So, I don't know what to make of that. Yeah, you would expect someone kicks the ball and like when they show it in the replay, at least when they're showing it closer up, you'd expect to see water droplets flying off of it. You'd expect to maybe see some mud or something. <laughs> it's, it's very strange. It's, it's like alternate realities colliding or something. It was it's kind of surreal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the the last thing was I, I think it was after one of these numerous questionable calls that one of the assistant coaches for Arsenal, I believe they pronounced it Nicolo Jover, I think was how they said it. Um and I, I saw NJ were uh, the initials that were on the jacket he was wearing. But apparently he was given a yellow card. Uh, it's, I think the commentator said he threw a water bottle or something. And then, um, when the ref came over, like he shook his hand, I guess as a way of apologizing for his outburst or something. But, um, what are, what are, how do yellow cards affect the coach staff or I guess any of the staff, but how how do yellow cards for non-playing members of the team there have to be some differences. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think we've talked about this before. The, the referee has the discretion to to discipline anyone in the stadium. Um, and that mm-hmm. goes, obviously, for, for coaching the coaching staff as well. I, actually, technically, in some cases, it can't even extend into the stands. The referee is actually entitled to throw fans out of yeah. games. I, you won't see that at this level, but... Uh, yeah, that Nico Javert, uh, the, uh, the assistant coach, I, I did I did not see, I saw him get carded. Usually when that happens, especially as an assistant, you know, assistants are not supposed to be up and talking to the refs like that. Uh, that's, that's what the manager can do. <laughs> and, and usually yeah. in that case, I, I did not see or hear anything about the water bottle throwing. So my guess was he, he, there, there are certain words you're not allowed to say to the referees. And my guess is he said one of them, <laughs> yeah, so oh, okay. to speak. Uh, but yeah, I guess if he threw something at me, I definitely, um, although I suspect, I mean, maybe it must've been in, in the gen, like just throwing it in a general direction and accidentally say, maybe hitting the fourth official or the assistant ref. Cause if he deliberately threw something at the referee, you probably should be thrown out for that. And, um, Oh yeah, no, I, I don't think they were trying to say that he actually hit anyone. I think he just threw it at the yeah. ground or something. Right. And so it could be, it could be the referee is, you know, that saying, you know, that's not okay. Can't do that. So he gives them a yellow. Uh, uh, they can accumulate cards the same way players can. Two yellows and a red means okay. you're out. Uh, they they can give red cards and get and eject managers. I, I suppose. I mean, because it doesn't happen very often. I suppose technically they could accumulate yellows the way we've talked about and get themselves banned from a later game. Uh, but I, you, well, yeah, that's the type of thing I was wondering about. Yeah, <laughs> I, I actually don't. I actually don't. I mean, you you don't see it often enough that it ever really comes into play. Right. But I, I suppose yeah. theoretically it, it could happen. I, I just, I, I've never, I've never seen it. So I don't know. That's an interesting possibility. Right. Okay. So that's that's it for uh, for my notes on the game. Uh, what did you want to discuss with it? Well, I, I guess 
I mean, you know, first off, how how did you feel after after the draw? Just a draw in general, your first tie. I'm dis- disappointed. Uh, just the the whole ma- so the match was very interesting in, in the tonal shift between halves. The first half, Arsenal was so dominant, and if they'd continued in that same vein, they would have scored at least one more goal in the second half, and probably not allowed the goal that Southampton scored to be scored either. But um, yeah, there, there was a drastic shift between halves, and it wasn't so surprising given how they'd been playing the whole second half that it ended the way that it did. It almost seemed like uh, fitting, I guess, <laughs> that you had one team with the dominant first half, the other team with the dominant second half. You're going to mm-hmm. end up with a draw. Uh, but no, it, it felt lousy. <laughs> it almost <laughs> in some ways felt worse than when we got beaten by Manchester United. Yeah, it ties are, it, it, every tie is different because you'll have some ties, some draws where you score the equalizer in the final minute and it's just, it's thrilling. Like, yes, we did it. We got the draw. And then you have ones like this right. where you're just like, man, we should have gotten more, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And and it's especially worth pointing out, and, and I know this has been brought up in several Arsenal, uh, other Arsenal sites have talked about this. The the of all the calls or non calls the the earliest one fourteenth minute where where Gabriel Jesus is essentially dragged down in the box you could easily call that not just a penalty you could easily have also called that as a red since he is you could argue that that's um oh who was what was his name the the Southampton defender who should have been thrown off a couple times uh, Lianco. I, it pulls him to the ground. Oh, yeah. He's guy, the yeah. last. He's the last defender. The the phrase in the rule is a denial of an obvious goal scoring opportunity or dog so. That's yeah. that's that's a red. And at that point, you you're 14 minutes in. You have a penalty. You score that. It's two nil. There's 75 minutes left in the game, and you're up a man. At that point, the game's not over, but the game might have been over. Um, but it, but it, well, we didn't get that call. Uh, so yeah, that's it's kind of frustrating. I you know I'm I'm of two minds about this, and I'm trying and thinking about Southampton to to sort of not talk about because in the moment the results, yes, it's frustrating to drop points, but also Southampton's a tricky team. St Mary's, their stadium, has always been a difficult place for us to go. We lost to there last year, so in a sense, coming away with mm-hmm. a point is we're already a step ahead of where we were a year ago in in that sense. What I'd say is, on the one hand, you know, certainly the frustration from a draw. Yeah, no, you don't like to drop points. Although the the positive angle from this is, this is only the second game out of eleven we've dropped points. We're currently still in first. Mm-hmm. We're top of the table, uh, and it was a day where uh, Manchester City, a weekend, Manchester City dropped points, Chelsea dropped points, Spurs dropped points. Uh, Liverpool lost. So basically everyone we're competing against seemed to be losing or uh, losing points. So obviously there's the frustration, but this happens to everyone at least a little bit. And, 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 you know, St. Mary's stadium, Southampton's place is a place we've struggled in the past. They're a tricky side. It's a tough game to usually go to. And last year we lost this game at away at Southampton. So, so to come away with a draw is one point more than we had a year ago. And that's good. Uh, so, you know, certainly draws are frustrating, but, you know, you can take the positives from us. There is a flip side to this, though, and and, it, and that's that this is a couple of weeks in a row where we're sort of having this conversation about these kinds of frustrations about the quality of play and, and also the quality of finishing of scoring goals. And it, it concern is too strong. But there is a sense that, you know, early in the season, we were doing a good job just stepping on teams' throats, that we, when we got the opportunity, we got the advantage, we took it, we delivered, and, and, and really seized mm-hmm. control of the game. And we're just not quite doing that the same way. Some of that's going to be a little bit of fatigue and travel. Some of it is it's a long season. You can't be at the top of your game every week, every single game. But you do start to get, again, not so much concern, but just starting to look out ahead and say, you know, hey, I, I would I would feel a lot better if we had a game, especially in the Premier League. Cause, because the Europa League games, we'll talk about a little bit towards the end. At this point, the Europa League games were pretty much set as far as those are concerned. But you'd like to see a Premier League game, and maybe Forrest on Sunday is the one to do it, where you just step in and just just strangle them from beginning to end. You bury those chances. <laughs> you bury those chances. You, you run you run them out of the stadium. You know, 
we are a team that's up at the top of the league and they are not, and we're going to prove it. And, and you kind of like to see that certainly a couple times. I mean, really between now and now in the World Cup break, the one big game we have is in, in just uh, it's about two weeks now is is Chelsea. And you'd like to see a little more, mm-hmm. you know, ideally Chelsea would be that performance because that would be awesome. But you'd almost like to see it at least once before Chelsea to to just really seize control of a game, especially in the league, and 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 really dominate uh, what we'll call inferior opposition, a club that's not as good as us, and and treat them like it. Yeah, yeah, and I was reflecting a little bit more on why it might have felt worse to have this draw compared to the outright loss that we suffered uh, several weeks ago. And I think the the big difference was, as they say, it's the hope that kills you, right? We were we were in the lead for a long time in this match, and the fact that they never pulled ahead, that we just stayed even, we were always so close to being able to get that one more goal that we needed, and we actually almost did, except for the very accurate VAR call against Tierney. <laughs> that ball was very, very clearly out of touch before oh, yeah. he, uh, before he knocked it. <laughs> but, and, and, um, and, and sort of like you talked about with the, with the, the PSV match, uh, you know, you, you, when it's one nil, you're, you're living on that edge and, and to their credit, Southampton mm-hmm. had a real, that was a really nice goal. If we had scored that goal, we'd be gushing about the movement and the passing and, and, but we didn't. So it's, it's very annoying, but they, yeah. It was well, a right. Goal. So, so you compare that to the Manchester U game, and it was it was different. Like we we were to, to call it blown away is what I was about to say, and you know it, it sounds funny when you're talking about losing three to one. You know it was two goals, but two goals is it feels much more insurmountable in a soccer match than when you're only behind by one. Like in, when you're behind by one, you have hopes of bringing it to a draw, and when you're at a draw, you have hopes of getting that one more and. Uh, and winning and so yeah i think i think it was the hope that killed me with this one. i mean yeah I, and 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 there is the there's the there's this kind of goofy adage in sports that a, a two goal lead is the most dangerous lead uh you know because because on some level it seems kind of dumb right well of course a one goal lead is more dangerous but but the idea is with two you, you sort of can you can you can cruise a little bit like we're okay but once mm-hmm. you give up that goal Maybe you seeded the momentum as well, and now the other team can push a little further, and all of a sudden it's a one-goal mm-hmm. game, and you haven't been playing well. So that that's sort of where that idea comes from. But, I mean, yes, in, in pure mathematical terms, yes, a, a one-goal lead is much more dangerous than two. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that, that concludes our discussion of the Southampton match. Um, just some small questions. The, the first couple uh, – were just kind of general questions that occurred to me during the course of the Southampton match. So um, the first two questions have to do about the standings and Europa League versus uh, Champions League, just things that came to mind while they were showing our position relative to the rest of the Premier League so far this season. And so um, we've established, so the top four teams go to the Champions League for the following year. Um We've also talked about how the, I forget what you said it was, it was the top team or the top two teams or something in the Europa League are guaranteed a spot in the Champions League. Uh, And you can correct me if it wasn't one or two, if it was more than that, but some number of teams. So let's say we win the Champions League, but let's say we also place in the top four. Um, Does the Premier League send five teams to the um, Champions League or do they only send um four and it just kind of doesn't matter that we were guaranteed the spot that we would have gotten anyway what what happened right, yeah okay so yeah the the uh, as as one of the top leagues in europe along with i think us and germany and spain i think are the other are the others um we are guaranteed england is guaranteed four spots in the champions league now one of the spots in each champions league for the the following year is reserved for the title holder of the champions league so the team that won it the year before and also for the winner mm-hmm. of the Europa League. Um, okay. However, so it's one from each league. It's it, yeah. Well, yeah. So the winner of the Champions League, the winner of the Europa League, and then you start to fill in the uh, the other you know the positions based on the the table. So where everybody finished within their respective yep. leagues. A lot of times, this really doesn't come into play because it's generally 
the, the teams that are going to finish the top of their domestic league are the same teams that are going to win the Champions League. So the idea that you would somehow not okay. be in the top of your big league and somehow win the Champions League is not very common. So in a sense, that's okay. hard. However, if it is the case where a team uh, finishes out, you know, say it's uh, say this year it was um, say it was Liverpool. Uh, but Liverpool, because they're so far behind, they can't get into the top four, but they are in the Champions League currently. They win the Champions League. They would get a fifth spot for England. Now, if okay. Man- now if Manchester City were to win it, and Manchester City will almost certainly finish in the top two in the Premier League, frankly, they're still the favorites to win the title, even if they are behind us for the moment. If they win both, or, mm. then they're still automatically then that spot just goes to, to them and it's still the top four. So that spot's already, already right. accounted for. Uh, there used to be, and I have to bring this up uh, because it's rather amusing. It used to be that uh, England was only guaranteed four spots. This was about 10 years ago. So coming out of, yeah, so 20, the 2011-12 season and then heading into the uh, 2012-13 Champions League, uh, Chelsea won the Champions League and finished in sixth in the Premier League. So by getting, they were given the fourth English spot. And this is particularly amusing because guess who was the team that finished in fourth and got bumped down to the Europa League. By the way, I should point out before Uh, you answer this question, (laughs) I have a very large smile on my face as I ask this. Yeah. (laughs) Arsenal? (laughs) No. Oh, Arsenal finished in third. No, No. it, it was Spurs. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're talking about getting bumped down, not promoted. The, so yeah, bumped in. The one, yeah. Ti- the one time that's actually happened in England, of course it happened to Spurs, which is very funny. We beat yeah. them out for that spot, by the way. <laughs> we beat them out for that spot by one point. So uh, we finished in third. Yeah. So that was, that's, that was extremely funny, <laughs> um, which is just, is just fantastic. Now, that's, that's the way it looks now. So... In terms of qualifying for the for the the league the the European competitions, this is where it gets it gets it sounds a little weird and complicated, but as you watch it play out, it'll actually make a lot of sense. I think. Well, you'll see it start to make sense. Champions League spots go to the teams that finish in the top four. The fifth place team is guaranteed a spot in the Europa League. Now England gets two Europa League spots. The other Europa League spot goes to the team that wins the FA Cup. Now last year, okay. yeah. So now last year, Liverpool won the FA Cup, but also finished on the top four. So they were in the Champions League, and that means the Europa League spot went to the next team in the standings, which was the team in sixth, which at last year's case was Manchester United. We were fifth, so we were already okay. already set to be in. The spot in the Europa Conference League is only guaranteed to the winner of the League Cup. Now, as it turns hmm. out, last year. Liverpool also won the League Cup, still going to the Champions League. And so that spot went to the team that finished in seventh in England, which in this case a year ago was West Ham. So England Mm -hmm. is sending, I believe they pointed out, the maximum number of teams that England could send to uh, European competitions is eight. So it would be a case where you have the top four, the Champions League winner would finish outside the top five because the mm-hmm. fifth place team would go to Europa League, and then the FA Cup and League Cup winners would also finish out would finish outside the top six or seven. And so you could theoretically have up to eight English teams go to European competition. Now that's right. That's a mess and is unlikely to happen. And and a lot of reason is because right. what you'll have is just what we saw last year. The cups are increasingly becoming dominate more and more dominated by the biggest clubs. So Manchester City, Liverpool, Arsenal, the, Chelsea, teams that are already going to Europe are winning it, and so they're bumping those places down to teams that finish in six or seven. Okay, cool. And uh, what's hopefully a very quick uh, final question before we wrap up is: I noticed when they're showing the top twenty in the Premier League, so we know that the top four go to Champions League. They, it looked like there's also a dotted line above the bottom three. Does something mm-hmm. special happen to those bottom three, or are they relegated or something? Yes, that is the relegation line. The teams, yeah, the teams that finish in the bottom three uh, will be relegated. They will play next year in the championship, the second division, and the top three. Well, 
The top two teams in the championship plus the winner of the teams three through six will have a playoff, and the winner of that will qualify and will join the cha- join the Premier League. Excuse me, next year. Right. So uh, this year, uh, let me pull up that list quickly. So um, Nottingham Forest, along with Bournemouth and Fulham, were the ones who were promoted from. Uh, promoted from championship after last year, and then uh, we la- relegated last year was Burnley, Watford, and Norwich City. Okay. So yes, the bottom three are going to be highlighted. And one thing to keep an eye on is uh, it's is you, a fun one to keep an eye on is is on Christmas Day, the team in last place is they're not guaranteed to be relegated, but I think only once in the history, at least of the Premier League, has the team in last place on Christmas uh, actually escaped relegation. Which makes sense because okay. Christmas is Christmas is roughly about the halfway point of the season, uh, so that's not terribly surprising uh, that they would they would falter like that. All right. Well, I think that uh, wraps up this week's discussion. Um, what's coming up next week? So next week we have uh, two games again, just like we have all the way up through uh, through the middle middle of November and the end of the, or heading into the World Cup break. Thursday, we go to PSV. We go to Eindhoven to the Philips Stadion. I expect a, I expect a more rotated squad for Arsenal, and I, I expect a better performance from PSV. I think it's still a game we could get a result in. If we drop points in the Europa League group, this is the game for it. But we'll see how they do. Um, Arsenal needs only a point between this game and their next Europa League game against Zurich, who is frankly awful, oh, okay. uh, to, to finish on top of the group. So. You could start to see the uh, maybe maybe a little more rotation in in the lineup. So see, a, you know, we talk about Jesus and Saka and some guys coming on. You may not see quite as many of them, uh, or even be brought on to quote unquote rescue the game at the end because at this point those those games are not uh, not as necessary. So be curious to see how Arteta plays that. And then on Sunday we will play one of those promoted teams in Nottingham Forest. Uh, right. Yes, that's that's the same Nottingham as as home to uh, <laughs> the the legend of Robin Hood. Although I have to give a and the Merry Men, yes, and the Merry Men, yes. I have to give a special shout out here to a a grad school friend of mine uh, who is I'm sure not listening to this podcast, but in case he is, uh, he grew up outside of Nottingham, uh, grew up as a fan of their arch rivals, Derby County, and uh, ah. he he and I lived together for a year. And when I when I was moving into to his place, he said, "In this house, we root for two clubs." Darby and whoever's playing Forest. So I look forward to <laughs> on his behalf smashing the trees. Right. <laughs> uh thanks for joining us at Gooner U. We're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and some other places, and we appreciate you subscribing to our show and sharing it with friends. Again, my name is Dove, and you can find me on Twitter at Dove Frankel. With me as always is Keith, and you can find him in a pub watching Arsenal matches. Come on, you gunners. <laughs>